The Seahawks officially have a nine-player draft class for the 2022 NFL Draft. We're going to be breaking down the nine players the Seahawks brought in and some general thoughts from the 2022 NFL Draft on our latest installment of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks, joining me for our latest Monday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Hopefully everybody's coming down smoothly from draft week. Man, what a fun three days that that was. I know, Rob, for you and I, it was a grind going through the draft season. You're wrapping up your coverage from a league-wide standpoint, but soon. All of that chaos is going to be over. We're going to be able to start transitioning to OTAs and mini camps. Then training camp will be here before you know it. But we're going to start taking a close look at Seattle's draft class as a whole today. Some of our observations from how the draft played out for the Seahawks. And we'll be having some Monday superlatives checking out this latest draft class. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. After months of anticipation, the Seahawks were going into the 2022 NFL Draft with the most draft capital that they had had in a long time. Their first top 10 pick since 2010. Four selections in the top 72 picks. And just looking at the players that the Seahawks picked, Rob, yes, maybe wasn't the sexiest draft that we've ever seen in terms of getting a bunch of offensive linemen, pass rushers, corners, no quarterback. But it feels like with the draft capital the Seahawks had, they really attacked major needs on both sides of the ball and knocked this one out of the park. I I 100% agree with you, Corbin. I I thought this was the best draft class the Seahawks have had in a long, long time, maybe even going all the way back to those 2010, 2011, 2012 draft classes that really put this franchise on the fast track to a a Super Bowl. Um, You know, They just rebuilt the offensive line first and foremost, and we'll break down all of these prospects, of course, as as we go. But I I just love the fact that that Seattle kind of double-dipped at tackle double dip to edge rusher, cornerback, and wide receiver. They checked in all of the boxes that they needed to do. And I stress needed to because I did not believe that quarterback was a needed position considering what they already got back in the Russell Wilson trade with Drew Locke. So you just look at all the talent there. The fact that you got the best player, arguably, on the offensive side of the ball this past season with a Doka Walk, Doka, Walker Award winner and Kenneth Walker. Uh, you got the Jim Thorpe Award winner, of course, and Kobe Bryant. You you got some terrific talent. You got arguably the most explosive athlete ever tested in the history of the combine in, in Tariq Woolen in the fifth round. I mean, and and oh by the way, you got the best pass blocking left tackle in the draft at number nine overall. To me, it wasn't just so much Corbin that the fact that the fact that the Seahawks got a lot of really good football players. I was stunned that we did not see very many trades. We did not see very many. And I don't want to call them reaches. I always kind of struggle with that 
that that word when it comes to the draft because every NFL team has their own reason why they make the selections that they do. But the fact that Seattle just felt like they were just they weren't going for home run hits here. They were going for just strong line drive kind of uh, of hits throughout this draft class. And I think that it really set themselves up beautifully uh, to be able to compete this next season and, and certainly in the future as well. I like the baseball analogy because I think a lot of times John Schneider and Pete Carroll go up to the plate swinging a 40-ounce bat trying to smack the ball 500 feet to left field. They're trying to pull it into the bleachers, and sometimes they connect, and then there are other times where they whiff and end up driving themselves into into the ground like a corkscrew, and we unfortunately have seen that a fair amount of times in recent drafts. They got back to the basics, and they were hitting those line drives. Let's try to hit up the middle. Let's go opposite field. Let's get us good value picks at positions of premium importance. Let's check off these needs. Let's not force the issue for maybe a player that's just got incredible athletic traits. You know, day three, you can take those gambles. But to me, and we'll have a chance here in the next segment to really break down some general takeaways from this draft, but – To me, the biggest takeaway when I look at what they were able to bring in this nine player hall, this was a foundation draft for the Seahawks. They made a statement by going out and getting two tackles in those first four picks, being able to get two pass rushers, one that has incredible athleticism, another one that had a great pressure rate the last two years. And really, that was the other thing that jumped out. You had all these different doubling up at certain positions, tackle, edge, receiver, corner. It felt like with all of these, you had one player of the two that was a younger, higher upside, untapped potential type player. And then the other one was a more polished, older prospect. The edge rusher duo being the only one that seemed like that, you know, they're both a little older prospects, but you could make the argument that Boye Mafe is that ball of Play-Doh that still has so much left to be developed. And Tyreek Smith is maybe a bit more, uh, of a refined player, even though he didn't play a ton of snaps at Ohio State, with his skill set, you see a hand technician as a pass rusher. And so this really was that first key draft where you are building in the trenches, you're getting some quality depth guys at minimum, at corner, receiver, you take some flyers on a few players late, and you're able to build that foundation inside out so if Drew Locke's your quarterback or if your quarterback's in next, next year's draft class or it's somebody else that's in the league on another team, whatever it ends up being, when they find the guy that is their next franchise quarterback here, whether it is one of those guys I mentioned, it's Drew Locke, whatever, they have the pieces in place now where they can plug that QB in and they can be back in contention in the NFC West. That's the tiny, That's the kind of draft they had to have here, and they were able to get it done. Now the question is, are they going to be able to live up to the expectations on the field? Well, and that's obviously something that we're, it's going to be fascinating to kind of watch how that process unfolds. But yeah, I, I love that you mentioned just how, how Seattle basically kind of complemented a, a project um, you know, just a guy who has incredible athletic ability with a little bit more pro-ready players. So the project and the pro-ready. I think that when you do that, you just really set yourself up to be successful. And, you know, all of our listeners here, Corbin, ha- have have heard me kind of just bemoan the fact, heard us, frankly, bemoan the fact that Seattle did not take advantage of a center class last year that I thought was one of the great ones I have I have ever, ever evaluated in 20 plus years of doing this. And it just angered me. 
because I thought this is clearly an area of concern for the Seahawks and they did not take advantage of it. At the same time, we talked about over and over again how this class was just so loaded at edge rusher, so loaded at cornerback, at wide receiver, and, and the offensive tackles were really good, especially at the top. And that was the positions that Seattle prioritized. You didn't see them go for the tight ends. You didn't see them go for you know no multiple picks at, at whether it be quarterback or running back or some of the other classes out there, positional groups out there that just didn't have a great deal of talent. I mean, I, I thought this Seattle might have gone with a linebacker, but at the same time, that was one of the things that Pete Carroll kind of talked about, that he felt very, very comfortable with his team's linebacking core. So again, I thought that this was a perfect marriage of, of Seattle recognizing their own areas of concern and then the areas of strength in this year's draft class and blending those two together to give them, again, one of the best draft classes, I think, not only in Seattle's history of Pete Carroll and John Schneider, the 13 years that they've been operating Seattle's drafts, but also one of the best draft classes in all of the NFL. We're going to have more of an opportunity here in a moment to continue digging in some general thoughts. Obviously, a much different draft than we have ever seen John Schneider and Pete Carroll have at the helm. And I guess when you go 7-10, and 10, you have to make changes to how you do things. And it really felt like these two and the entire scouting department, that they came in with a renewed purpose. You've got that renewed energy. You have the draft picks. And they went out and executed. Now we got to see what the players look like on the field. But that's the real fun. You've got your draft class now. Let's see what the coaching staff can do with them. And that's going to make the next several weeks interesting as we really dive in deep with these prospects. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting, stats, and sports informational needs. Find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's basketball playoffs and the start of the Major League Baseball season. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports and wagering informational needs. From live betting to the playoffs, esports, and more, head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Monday edition. We are past the draft the chaos of the draft, and now we've got a nine-player draft class for the Seahawks to dive into. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We've just barely scratched the surface now. We had a chance to look at that nine-player draft class, the nine guys that were selected by the Seahawks, and just in general, the Seahawks taking a little different approach. And I want to expand on that here first as we look into some takeaways from this draft. Because as we've mentioned, in the past, John Schneider, Pete Carroll typically feels like they're making four, five, six trades. They're moving all over the draft board. And there's always that curveball. And this is really the big takeaway for me. I felt like John Schneider came out, and we keep using baseball analogies. It's baseball season. Get over it, listeners. But he usually is throwing a curve, but yesterday or this past week, those three days of the draft, he was given a big no signal to everybody in the room that wanted a curveball, and he was throwing the heater. 95 to 100 mile an hour fastballs. We are attacking the strike zone. We're going to go get the players that we need, again, to build that foundation. And I'm not picking on some of the picks that John Schneider has made in the past. There have been ones that have worked out. Bruce Irvin. Everybody was questioning that pick in 2012. Ended up being a pretty solid first-round selection, a key contributor on their Super Bowl champion and also their second uh, team that almost won it against the New England Patriots. Had a very solid NFL career. But then there have been the moves where they have picked players like L.J. Collier, for example. 
and those have not worked out. It just didn't feel like there were any of those curveballs in this draft. I guess you could say Kenneth Walker, but I think you and I would both be in agreement, especially with what Pete Carroll said after day two about Chris Carson's health. That was as ominous as it gets in terms of an update, a non-update on Chris Carson. They don't know if he's going to be healthy. My general thoughts on that are it's not looking good, and I don't think they'd be picking a running back in the second round if they were optimistic he'd be available. So they really were going after needs, and running back was a need, a bigger need than many fans realized. So this truly was a, I'm attacking our needs, we're going to address them, we're going to double up on several of these, and we are going to make this foundation strong for whenever we have our quarterback. Yeah, I, I would 100% agree with you. Again, I, I think that this was as by the book. Uh, you know, Ian Furness said it by chalk as, as you've ever seen a, a, a Seahawks draft. I mean, they really, I think, just kind of scheduled out exactly what they were going to do. They, they, they told us what they were going to do. They told us that they that they believed in Drew Locke and they were not going to be taking a quarterback very early on. They suggested as much as all kinds of, of questions about what type of offensive tackles fit in for this team. The fact that Seattle only had three offensive tackles on their roster heading into the draft was about as big of a tell as you possibly can get. You know, I mean, I think, again, to kind of follow along with the, the baseball analogy, I always think about the old, you know, kind of kid movie, The Sandlot, you know, and, uh, you know, and then the kid just saying the heater, we're, you know, we're bringing the number, you know, we're, we're bringing the, the fastball here and you just can't keep up with it. We, we've been so programmed, or at least I have, I've been so programmed to try and time that curveball time that change up that I was kind of thrown off off balance a little bit when Seattle did just kind of put that fastball right down the pike at number nine overall taking the offensive tackle Charles Cross it was just too obvious for me I, I wasn't expecting yeah. Seattle to do with what they were expected to do I mean when does that happen with the Seahawks you know and yet that is exactly what they did and I get it you know I've already done a couple of the the you know the interviews and, and the the national pundits out there who are like hey Hey, where's the quarterback? You can't you know, taking a running back in the second round. This is Seattle going for another one of those luxury picks. Oh my God. When is, when is Pete Carroll and John Schneider going to get into the, the 21st century? The, there's only so many teams in the 21st century who are walking around with a ring and Seattle is one of them. And they just went with the same strategy that they did the first time that they built this franchise. And so, yeah, to me, that would be my biggest takeaway is that they did kind of go to chalk, go down that blueprint um, that had already built up a, a, a championship caliber house that they had done before. They are looking to build along the line of scrimmage. They are looking for ball hawks in the secondary. And certainly they are looking for difference makers at the running back position, especially because uh, Pete Carroll absolutely wants to run the football. And, and as you said, in, in you know, in the uh in, in the post draft press conference with what Pete Carroll and John Schneider kind of alluded to is they just simply don't know when or if Chris Carson is going to be able to return. So it makes all the sense in the world that they would invest that early pick in arguably the most dynamic runner and, and, and one of the most dynamic players in the offensive side of the football in the entire draft for Kenneth Walker III to be available to see out number 41 overall. Yeah, I think that was just too much bang for their buck at that point. That's why he was made this selection. It wasn't because it was a luxury pick, as some already are starting to suggest. Yeah, I think if they would have drafted a receiver that early, I would have been screaming, that's a luxury pick, because you've still got DK Metcalf, 
you've got Tyler Lockett. You just drafted D. Eskridge in the second round. But running back, you've got a, a starter, Rashad Penny, who's had a bunch of injuries. Chris Carson's uncertainty. Travis Homer is going to be a free agent after this year. DJ Dallas will be the only other guy that's under contract next year. So they've got some question marks that position, both short and long term. So I had no issue with this move. No reason to be concerned about that. You're bringing in a blue chip talent, a guy that was the Doak Walker Award winner and a first team All-American last year. No, by the way, has 438 speed. So he's actually faster than what Rashad Penny was coming into the league. So a dynamic playmaker to add to your backfield arsenal. This draft, it almost felt like it was borderline boring. Like I was joking with a few of the other reporters in the in the uh, draft room about this at the VMAC that, you know, we're so used to scrambling on our computers because John Schneider's made 18 trades and moved up and down the board. And yet that never happened. It's not that they weren't trying either. As John Schneider pointed out, I talked to a few people that had intel on this and they were looking to trade up potentially in the top 10, but it was to get Charles Cross because they were worried they weren't going to have him fall to them at number nine. They got lucky, things worked out, and Cross was there for them. And then they weren't going to trade down at that point either because they had their guy in place. So those trades falling apart, a lot of it just had to do with the way the board fell. And they ended up getting the guy that they wanted in Charles Cross, and everything was just chalk after that point for the most part. And so very different. Real quick, you mentioned the quarterbacks. I think that's the other big thing that we need to discuss from this draft because I did find it odd. You and I have been talking about this QB class ad nauseum since Russell Wilson got traded. Even before then, when there was some speculation, we were looking at some of the quarterbacks in this class. And I think you and I would both agree, not a great quarterback class, but I don't think anybody saw one quarterback being picked in the first 65, 70 selections. It Hadn't happened since the early 2000s that had been a draft like this where you had a quarterback pick in the first round and then there's just a huge gap. And Seattle had chances to pick Malik Willis, Desmond Ritter, Sam Howell. Those quarterbacks, they had a chance to pick him at 40, 41, 72. Howell was even there at 109. And John Schneider said, no, I am punting on quarterback. And so I was shocked by it. But then seeing the way the rest of the league was handling, it's clearly evident that even compared to what the experts out there were saying, that the league was down on this quarterback class. <laughs> the league was very down on this quarterback class, Corbin. That, that's the thing. I mean, I, I talked to a couple of teams that, uh, you know, no, no one wants to throw any kind of shade on the Pittsburgh Steelers and outgoing general manager Kevin Colbert, who, of course, made the only selection of any of the quarterbacks, uh, you know, 20th overall. That, that was where I had the first quarterback going in this draft class. But of course I had Malik Willis going there and he wound up going in the tail end of the third round. Uh, you know, I, I had Kenny, uh, Kenny Pickett going number 32 overall to Detroit lions. So I did think that the, we might see the quarterback start to slide down the board a little bit. You and I did a, a mock draft on, on, on this very network where, where I had Seattle going with a quarterback on on the second day. But then on the mock draft I did with the Seahawks.com, I had him taking only one quarterback, and that being in the seventh round. I, I thought that there might be uh, a little bit more buzz in the media world that, uh, when it came to quarterbacks than there certainly was with the NFL teams. And so I feel pretty good about that. But, yeah, I certainly did not anticipate that we would see the quarterbacks come off the board as slowly as they did. And that would be one of the things that I would stress to anybody out there who is kind of questioning Seattle's strategy 
here is it's not like Seattle passed on the quarterbacks once or twice and then every other NFL team out there just pounced on them and was kind of laughing behind John Schneider and Pete Carroll's back. Every NFL team passed on these quarterbacks multiple times. And as I said before, and, and you know, I, again, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I believe that you feel similarly. Drew Locke, at least in my opinion, would have been the first quarterback selected this year. I said that's the moment that Seattle made that trade, uh, you know, sending Russell Wilson to the Denver Broncos. And it's not that I think that Drew Locke necessarily is a guaranteed kind of a guy. I just think that the guys that were drafted this year at the quarterback position were even less certain. And so to me, that was the kind of hidden genius of Seattle's decisions here on draft day is now they have a guy in Drew Locke. They have said, look, basically, we are all in, not just in our words, but in our actions. We are all in on you. What can Locke do for the Seahawks? That, that's what's going to be fascinating here. And if not, if he is unable to take advantage of the fact that he is on the final year of his contract, DK Metcalf is in the final year of his contract, you bring in all this talent along the offensive line to allow him potentially to pop. If that is not the case, and Seattle has the two first-round picks, two second-round picks next year, and a quarterback class that looks that much richer, Seattle has put themselves in position to get a true franchise quarterback. Maybe they already have him, again, in Drew Locke. Maybe it's Jacob Easton or Geno Smith. But if not, they are in position to get a quarterback early next year and then have already developed the team around them rather than doing what the Jacksonville Jaguars and other clubs do, take the quarterback and let him wither away when the rest of the team falls apart. To me, this was the way to build this franchise if you're looking for rings rather than winning in April and all of the draft hubbub kind of stuff. You want to win when it actually counts. Yeah, I don't think anybody would have batted an eye if the Seahawks would have taken Malik Willis or Desmond Ritter with one of those second-round picks. There might be some fans out there that think they should have picked one of those guys instead of Kenneth Walker. Everybody's got their own opinion. But Schneider said it best the other day. The quarterback and head coach together, that is the most important connection for an NFL team, and it's got to be the right fit. Clearly, they did not believe the player was there that was the right fit, or they would have picked in the third round, or even 109 with Sam Howell. If they truly believed in one of these quarterbacks, then they would have gone for it, and they didn't. So didn't press the issue. Clearly, actions speak louder than words, and their actions by not picking here, as you mentioned, this is as much of a vote of confidence as you can give for Drew Locke and Geno Smith, at least in the short term, by choosing to bypass these quarterbacks when we return in a moment we're gonna have a little bit of a monday game some superlatives for this 2022 draft class who might be the best pick who's got the best chance to be an all pro and several other superlatives rob and i are going to be sharing our thoughts plus we have a poll out there for fans as well we'll see what the fans think about this 2022 draft class when we return if you're like me we are now into the month of may Weather's getting nicer outside. was pretty crappy out today, but that's Seattle weather for you, I suppose. But more time to be outside. It's a real great chance to get in good shape. And Built Bar is there to help you out. 100% chocolate covering all Built Bars. If you haven't tried Built Bar Puffs, they're absolutely delicious. A protein-infused marshmallow, my favorite flavor, banana cream pie. I'll eat three or four of them in one sitting. Less than 200 calories, less than five net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. It's the perfect pre-workout snack, post-workout snack. Or if you're like me and you're not trying to destroy your diet, it's a nice snack just to have in the evening. They can have a couple nights a week, no problem. We've got amazing flavors in regular Built Bar as well, peanut butter, brownie, 
orange cream, and salted caramel, among others. They're coming out with new flavors every single month. So check out Built.com to see what they're cooking up for the month of May. Check out Built.com and use the code LOCK15 to get 15% off your next order. That's Built.com. Use the code LOCK15 to get 15% off your next order. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Monday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We've got a new nine-player draft class for the Seahawks. There's been a few reported undrafted free agent signings. We don't have any official confirmation on that. We'll be taking a look at some of those names tomorrow, but we won't officially know for a few days until the Seahawks release that list who's going to be there for their rookie minicamp coming up this weekend. Let's dish out some superlatives here, some Monday game action here. We've got six categories that we're going to be looking at here, Rob. We've got best draft pick, most likely day one starter, most pressure to reach ceiling, most likely to be an all pro, diamond in the rough, and wild card. We've also got some fan input on each of these. So without further ado, let's get to it here. First one that we've got the best draft pick. Our fans were very torn on this one. 60% said Charles Cross. 35% said Kenneth Walker, the running back out of Michigan State. So, again, running backs, when have they ever been divisive when they get drafted in early rounds? <laughs> We're talking about Seahawks fans. But there's a lot of fans that love that pick. Where do you stand on this? In your opinion, what is the best overall pick? Or I suppose you could look at that best value pick for the Seahawks in this draft. Yeah, and that's what I did is I went for the best value pick and the guy who I also believe has a chance to be a day one starter and I think is going to arguably have the the you know best career of all these players. The guy who had the best college and most consistent college career of all these guys, Abraham Lucas, the right tackle from Washington State. I, look, I have all a great deal of respect for Charles Cross, for Kenneth Walker III, and all of the rest of Seattle's, pass, or Seattle's prospects this year. We'll be talking about them as we go. But in my opinion, the best draft pick in terms of what he already is and how uh, you know how safe I feel that that selection was, no question about it, in my opinion, it's Abraham Lucas from the Cougs. I've got to go with Charles Cross, and this one's really easy. A top 10 pick. He's a blue-chip player. That's ex what you're expecting, at least, at top 10. You're going to have a blue-chip player. Best pass protector in college football last year. And I guess this is my viewpoint. He's only 21 years old. He is a couple years younger than Abraham Lucas. He's a great athlete. I just feel like his upside is much higher. So to me, I think both these guys could be long-term starters for the Seahawks. And they've got their bookends covered for the next five plus years. But I think Cross has the chance to be the best player. And obviously, there's a reason they were wanting to trade up to and just ensure that they could get him is because of his talent level and just the upside that he brings to the table. So I'm going to go with the first overall pick they made at number nine. I'm not going to go with anything crazy, but that's the best pick, in my opinion, for the Seahawks. Next category here, most likely day one starter and Charles Cross won this by a landslide. 82% of our listeners picked Cross. Abraham Lucas finished second. We know they had three tackles on the roster, so that should not be a surprise that the two tackles picked in this draft got the highest vote percentage. 
Yeah, and this one I I will agree with a lot of the same sentiments that you just mentioned a moment ago, as well as our listeners and Seahawks fans everywhere. As you said, eighty plus, uh, you know, percent of all of the voters went with Charles Cross, and yeah, I think that Charles Cross at number nine overall, he had damn well better be a day one starter, <laughs> um, you know. And so yeah, I, I think that this one is an easy one, day one starter, Charles Cross off to tackle Mississippi State. See, I'm going to go to this defensive side of the football. I We all agree that Charles Cross is going to be starting day one. If he's not starting on day one, there's something horribly wrong. Or knock on wood, he got injured or something. But like he needs to be out there in week one. He's your number nine overall pick. I think that there is a day three player, though, that is coming into the league very polished. He's played a lot of snaps. Played across from Mod Gardner. He was the Jim Thorpe Award winner last year, best defensive back in college football. I don't know that Kobe Bryant has a super high ceiling coming into the league because he does have some athletic limitations, but he's physical. He's a ball hawk. He plays with sound technique. He's played a lot of snaps at the college level. He's a willing tackler. I just have a feeling that Kobe Bryant is going to find his way into the starting lineup for week one. We don't know if Trey Brown's going to be back healthy at that point, and I will take Kobe Bryant over Artie Burns across from Sidney Jones. And so that's my other pick that I think will be starting week one. There's a chance that we could see three of these guys, maybe even four starting if things play out a certain way, and he's one of them that I will be keeping a very close eye on. Next category here, most pressure to reach ceiling well, when you're coming out of the Russell Wilson era into a new era, I mean, there's a lot of pressure on these young guys to try to get the Seahawks back into contention. No, there absolutely is. And, and first off, I just want to say, hey, I, I respect the, the bold take there with uh, with Kobe Bryant being a you know the day one starter. I think that that is a, a significant uh, prediction there. I'm going to be curious to see if that that turns out. To me, the of all the players that have the most pressure, again, you can make an argument for Charles Cross. Obviously, again, number nine overall selection, but you can anybody who watches him can see the athletic talent. Um, but I think the guy that has to live up to all the hype is the guy who was a one year starter and an unbelievable player at the college level during that one year. But that's Kenneth Walker the third from number, you know, again, Seattle's number 41 overall selection. You are expecting guys drafted that high to come in and be highly successful players. We have seen some of the running backs that Seattle selected, especially Rashad Penny, obviously, as a first-round selection, you know, not live up to expectations, at least early on in their NFL career. So to me, as far as pressure, I think that Kenneth Walker III has the most pressure on him. He has to be a superstar. Otherwise, Seattle is going to get hounded by all of those out there who say that was a luxury pick. What the heck were you doing? Yeah, and that one makes a lot of sense. I'm going to go with the guy that was picked right before him. And in fact, this was the player that got the highest percentage on our fan vote. Cross and Boye Mafe were both above 35%, but Mafe actually finished in first place in this one. And I think that I have to agree with that for a couple of reasons. One, the pass rush has been just as bad as what the pass protection has been the last couple of years in terms of consistency. This team badly needs an alpha dog as a pass rusher. Now, maybe Daryl Taylor is going to end up being that guy, but 260 pounds, 4'5", 340-yard dash speed, 40-inch vertical. I mean, Boye Mafe checks off all the athletic traits, 
but the production wasn't there for most of his college career. You did see him really make big strides last year at Minnesota, and he played great at the Senior Bowl. So the Seahawks are betting on what they saw there and in his final season that he's just scratching the surface of his potential. But I think the fact that he was picked at 40 and this team so badly needs a pass rusher, I do think there's a lot of pressure on him to show that he isn't just an athletic specimen and that he can be a talented pass rusher in the NFL. There's going to be a lot of weight on those shoulders joining this defense that wants to get back to being among the elite in the NFL Next one here, most likely to be an all-pro. Now, this is quite a mountain for any player to climb, but most of the votes from our listeners went to Charles Cross or Kenneth Walker. Mafe and Tariq Woolen also got 10% apiece. So we had four players that got a fair number of votes on this one. Again, this is a huge mountain to climb. There aren't very many all-pros. The Seahawks haven't had very many all-pros in their history. But, Rob, which guy from this class do you think has the best chance to become one? Yeah, you know, I, again, I'm going to go with Walker. Uh, and the reason why is because you just see a different level of elusiveness, of straight line speed, of, of balance through contact. I, I mentioned before the fact that he played at two different programs, or at least that he did not become a starter until this past season. And when he transferred to Michigan State previously, had been a backup at Wake Forest, albeit a very productive back for, uh, backup at Wake Forest. But still, the fact that he did play at two different programs and was very productive in both of them um, is one of the reasons why I think that uh, this guy has the talent to be able to come in and be an immediate impact star. We know that Rashad Penny and his lack of durability and Chris Carson, as we talked about before. And, and we also know that Seattle, if they do find themselves a superstar, they will load him up and allow him to, uh, you know, to really have opportunities to, to put up incredible numbers. So I would argue that running back is probably as as difficult of a of a mountain to climb uh, to become an all pro as there is in the league. But yet I still believe that Kenneth Walker III has that type of talent. And I'm going to look at it from a little different perspective. Which player from this draft class has the best chance to become one of the top two or three players at his respective position group? Yes, there are a ton of really great running backs in the NFL, but there aren't many teams that use their running backs the way that the Seahawks do these days. And you hinted at that, but I've got to go with Walker because he can outrun people. He's got the 438 speed. He can break tackles, not necessarily a bulldozer, but he broke 85 tackles last year, which ranked third in the nation, according to Sports Info Solutions. So he can do a little bit of everything. He's ran at his best in a pro style offense. He can run gap schemes, zone schemes, counters, you name it. So I look at the talent he has, the experience he has coming into the league in that type of a system, and just how Seattle uses running backs. To me, he's got the best chance to be a top two or three player in his position of any of the picks the Seahawks have. So I'm agreeing with you on this one on Walker. All right, last two here. We've got Diamond in the Rough. This one was really spread out for our listeners. Just listen to this, Rob. Tariq Woolen got 30%. Bo Melton got 23%. Abraham Lucas got 15%, Derek Young got 14%, and Tyreek Smith got 8%, and Bryant and Walker also got some votes. Now, I don't think Walker can be a diamond rough. He's a second-round pick. But the point is, this one was, of all the different categories we have, was the most spread out, most wide open. Who would be your diamond in the rough candidate? 
Well, he has to be the guy that I literally wrote on a Diamond in the Rough article, uh, and that being Tariq Willem from the University of, Te- of Texas, San Antonio. And it's not just the fact that he's a small school guy. It's not just the fact that he has all the incredible athletic ability that he has. It's not even just the fact that as a fifth-round selection, former wide receiver, turned cornerback, I mean, just the, the Richard Sherman parallels there are just so exciting it's the fact that Seattle does have some concerns at cornerback and that this guy's traits are that special. Um, you know, and as a former wide receiver, he does have the ball hawking ability to be able to, um, you know, to create those splashy plays. I mean, he only had two interceptions over his college career, Corbin, but one of them came with a cast on his hand. And also he only had two pass, uh, inter- uh, pass interference calls uh, against him this past season as well. So this is a guy that, that does, does have that type of talent. He's not the physical mauler that you might expect for a guy who's six four. Those thirty four inch arms that he possesses. So I just think that the upside is through the roof with this kid. He is raw, but at the same time, the upside is so exceptional that I think that he does have a chance to actually be that kind of hidden gem, that that gold that you're looking for. Thus, the name Diamond in the Rough. I'm going to the seventh round for my pick on this one. Dariq Young from Lenore Ryan. I mean. What would describe a diamond in the rough more than a division two player picked in the seventh round that like a lot of division two players has had to deal with more adversity than any other football players during COVID. I mean, they didn't have a season in 2020 in this past year, he had to deal with an MCL sprain for part of the year and missed a chunk of the season. But I mean, this is a guy that's had a lot of adversity, but I just look at the traits. They just pop off the page. Six, three, two, 20, 448 40-yard dash speed, 6.88 second three cone. And that size is flat out ridiculous. He's played running back. He's played receiver. He's hit people on special teams coverage. He's returned kicks. I know it's the D2 level, but this guy's got the traits if he is able to handle the jump in competition. He could be a lot of fun. This is a guy that could be an instant contributor on special teams. And a year or two from now, He could be your Debo Samuel light. I don't think it's far-fetched to say that if he's able to make that jump. That's a big if. But to me, the physical traits this guy has, the size, those things pop off the screen when you look at him. And so that is the definition of diamond in the rough. I could see him being a very interesting seventh-round pick. And our last one here real fast, the wild card. Woolen dominated this one 73% of the votes from our listeners, who would be your wild card from this draft class? Well, for me, the wild card, I, I think that you make a really good point with Rick Young before. I mean, I kind of, for those of you watching on YouTube, I just kind of gave the, you know, the big lifting and flexing kind of a thing because, I mean, my goodness, the guy is just built. We all remember the way that uh, DK Metcalf took off his shirt when he walked in and met Pete Carroll at the, at the combine. I, I think that Young may have done the exact same thing because the guy is yoked. Seventh round picks should not look the way that this guy looks. So I, I would mention them as at least a little bit of a side note in, again, the diamond in the rough and the wild card conversation. But for me, it's Tyreek Smith. If Tyreek Smith had just had a little bit better luck in terms of durability at Ohio State, I think the three-year starter would have wound up becoming a much, much higher selection. He is a roll of the dice because durability is what it is. There's not a lot of guys who could become more durable in the NFL than they were at the college level. But obviously, pass rusher being an area of concern for the Seahawks, Tyreek Smith 
having the, uh, the using his hands the way he does, having the burst up field the way that he has. Uh, you know, I, I think that he is a guy that really could be something special if Seattle and uh, Smith is just a little bit lucky with the durability aspect. And I've got to go with the listeners on this one because Tariq Woolen, you want to talk about the definition of a wild card. There has never been an athlete like Tariq Woolen coming to the NFL. I mean, you and I, we do, we're guilty of it. We call guys physical freaks or athletic freaks all the time. And all these NFL players are compared to the rest of the population. But in terms of freak athletes among freak athletes, this is an example where it is not hyperbole. There had never been a six foot four athlete go to the combine and run a four two six forty and jump forty two inches vertically. Like this guy is truly one of one as an athlete. We've never seen anything like it. But he's played corner for two years. He's got sixteen games under his belt as a corner. He is very raw in terms of the techniques and understanding coverage schemes. It is going to be a battle to get him up to speed in that regard. But man, the traits and who better to coach him than Pete Carroll and Carl Scott now being added to staff. These are the right guys to coach this kid up and he's got the work ethic. He's really made strides. Now the question is how quickly can he develop at the next level? Cause this guy could end up being an all pro caliber corner with the right coaching. I don't think that it's, it's far fetched to say he has that high of a ceiling at the same time. He could be Obi Melifuanwu 2.0 and it could be out of the league in two or three years. He's an athletic specimen. Now we got to find out, can he become a really good football player to go with it? So if that doesn't scream wild card, I don't know what does. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and five days a week streaming on YouTube. Coming up on our Tuesday show, we promised we're going to dig deeper into all these prospects. We're going to talk about the Seahawks First selection, Charles Cross, really going to dig deep into his strengths, weaknesses, where he fits going into the 2022 season and beyond. Plus, we'll start to dive into some of the undrafted free agents that have been linked to the Seahawks as we head towards the start of rookie minicamp. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.